Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be a part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Daryl Asagas and uh, no guests today, just uh, me and Sarah and you just hanging out. The dynamic duo. The dynamic duo. The dream team. That's it. I better um, stop. Yeah, Tanya's <laughs> right there. <It's> like, <laughs> rolling her eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, really nice to be with you. We're going to be talking about some uh, conversations that have sparked up around a Canadian filmmaker whose indigeneity has come into question after 20 years uh, in the industry. She's claimed to be Algonquin, Metis, and French. Um, she's an award-winning filmmaker whose work is completely centred on indigeneity. And, uh, yeah, there's backlash from the community, she claims, about the legitimacy of her ancestry. So, yeah, and what it means for the industry. But more broadly, um, we're going to talk about how much um, Indigenous identity is tied into such complex dynamics, especially when it's brought out into the public forum. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation we haven't really massively touched on. I feel like it's a conversation that should really only be delegated and directed by people from the said community that someone's claiming. Um, But we can definitely uh, shed a bit of light on it, that's for sure, and just kind of weave through all the whitewashing of the conversation that happens constantly. And something else really interesting happened to me this week. Yeah, let's talk about you. Let's <laughs> talk about me. Um, <laughs> so I watched The Godfather. And <laughs> <laughs> nah, gammon, I did watch The Godfather, but that's not what happened to me. Um, <laughs> I had um, someone... Not someone, a certain entity pull a work opportunity away from me because of I don't wanna know I don't know if it's because of race matters, but race matters was definitely in my profile when they yeah. decided to say that I was too political for this gig. Mm. So we're going to unpack this statement that POC definitely indigenous people, black people, we all get um, put in this box in this category of being too political for merely existing. And so that's a conversation that I feel would resonate with so many people of different racial identities um, and it's something that we're going to be unpacking a bit further on in the show. Blood out the neck of the go hit the land in his cracks Snap out the phone shows I'm struggling to stand Told my shorty let's go this ain't part of the plan You could reap what you sow and I owe a couple grand As the sweat that I broke hit the this is Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Daryl Asagas. And uh, in December last year, the Canadian film and television industry has been 
rocked <laughs> following uh, allegations. A, uh, a pretty high-profile filmmaker um, and inconvenient Indian director, Michelle Latimer, is not Indigenous, as she's claimed for the past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, like, it's giving me, like, strong Rachel Dolezal <laughs> vibes. Like, I'm it's, getting very triggered by that. that. yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, for context, um, yeah, the Canadian film director, her name's Michelle Latimer. She's claimed to be Algonquin, Metis, and French heritage for 20 years uh, working in the film industry and has uh, been found not to be. She just directed a feature doco called Inconvenient Indian. Um, it's a cinematic spin on Thomas King's 2013 uh, best-selling uh, The Inconvenient Indian and a curious account of Native people in North America. Um, I found out about it when I started watching this TV show called Trickster, uh, which she directed. It's based on a series of novels by an Indigenous author, Eden Robertson. Um, it's about a teenage drug dealer trying to support his family when supernatural beings start appearing to him. Um, there's like doppelgangers, shapeshifters, like there's like really strong law. It's sick. I think, yeah, you would like it, Sarah. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> late last year, CBC, which is a Canadian broadcasting corporation, uh, they revealed that her claims to indigeneity had been questioned. Uh, it happened when she identified in, uh, in the press, uh, as being Algonquin, Metis and French heritage from Kitigan Zibi Anishinaabe uh, Manawaki uh, in care. And members of Kitigan Zibi uh, and elders of um, the community questioned it. Um, one of the prominent elders of that community, Claudette Commander, uh, she said about the claim uh, without more evidence was an insult to the community. She was saying, Why are you claiming you are from Kitigan Zibi? What is your purpose and intent? What do you have to gain from this? And um, she's put out some pretty extensive responses to this. She claims that her claim uh, rested on the oral history of her maternal grandfather. Um, and she said that, my grandfather loved these lands and knew them like the back of his hand. And his stories became an important part of our oral history. And yeah, on top of that, she since apologized. And then uh, she said she would have, she should have seriously consulted her Algonquin uh, roots before claiming it and has uh, apologized to the Kitigan Zibi people as well. I won't go into any more details. There's lots of conversation uh, from multiple perspectives surrounding it. Lots of indigenous perspectives as well. And you can check them out online. But um, more broadly, it's, uh, it's just an interesting case to extrapolate into how indigeneity is claimed uh how it's performed um there's like this dichotomy of something of sometimes needing to prove your indigeneity versus standing unquestioned in your identity right mm, sarah absolutely and this is a topic that is so often manipulated and compromised by too many voices in the space and also governments coming in and deciding to create a one-stop shop form fill out that will prove your um, identity. And then what ends up happening is like, that's an easy thing to kind of manipulate. That's an easy thing to kind of come in and claim without any further um, reflection or interrogation. That's a colonial structure. It is a colonial structure. Yeah. How can you prove your indigeneity? How can you prove your um, connection to your um, ancestral history through a, a system that is inherently white supremacist? You know, and I mean, it's it's something that we ex we see like tenfold here, you know, within our First Nations community here, even like for myself and the conversations that we have in our community about um, new identifiers, we mm. call them, you know, and we kind of had had to redefine and um, understand the um, term like of being a new identifier and who, who actually fills that um I don't want to say like 
identity, but like who who, who fills that position? Mm. And it's usually it, when we think of someone as a new identifier, it's usually someone that has never had any proximity to the Indigenous community that they claim, has never shown any interest, any genuine interest to be engaged within the community that they claim, mm. but are very quick to claim that community when it comes to their own personal prospects, when it comes to their own career aspirations or financial gain. Mm. That's the issue. And that's when you start, that's when that title new identifier comes out. That's when, and then what's really infuriating is when, because it's a really hard thing to engage in, right? It's really hard to sit there and be like, are you, like, where are you actually, not where are you actually from? No, but like, you know, when no, you're, totally. uh, when you're, got your gut feeling that someone is not, they're, they're misrepresenting the said community they come mm. from, you know, because then it's like, I can't really, I don't want to be invasive on someone else's identity. Like, that's not my place. Totally. I don't want to be the person to interrogate your lived experience. To For me, at the end of the day, I'm just like, I'm not, I've come to the conclusion of, um, you know, if you're not claiming my community, then I'm not going to um, say anything about it because the people that should be pulling you up are the community that you're claiming. Mm. Um, and that's very telling because if you're not being claimed by the said community that you're putting up on your big bio and profile and whatever board of directors you're sitting on and the community that you're putting up in um, your title and they're not claiming you, what ends up happening really often is... Um, we end up hearing words like, you know, this is lateral violence. Mm. And which is really, that's, and that's what's really frustrating is um, we end up having a lot of people and a lot of voices jump in on this conversation that have a lot of proximity to whiteness. And they weaponize that whiteness to um, shield themselves from any type of accountability. No one's saying that you can't go and um, understand and learn and reconnect with your roots. I mean, like, if that's your, an if that is your ancestry, you do have an ancestral right to understand more about that and reconnect with that a hundred percent. I don't want, I don't deny anyone of that whatsoever. Like that's your ancestral history there. Like hundred percent. If you want to learn about that, go right ahead. But your journey needs to be your journey only. And it needs to be a journey that doesn't become exploitative of the mm. community that you apparently come from. Performative. It cannot become performative. It cannot be for clout. Mm. This is where it gets really, really tricky. This is where it gets monopolised. Oh, so tricky because, yeah, in the case of Michelle Latimer, this is a successful person. You know, she's an award-winning filmmaker. Mm. She's been in the industry for 20 years, as I said before, but then you throw in grants, you throw in, you know, reparations, you throw in acknowledgement, you, you throw in, like, platform, and it's like, who gets to have what without it being questioned and why? Yep. A hundred percent because like the level, like your, your proximity to whiteness, like I, there's so many different reasons as to why someone did not grow up in totally. their community, totally. in the um, racial identity that they come from. And sometimes just out of our control. And out of your control. Totally understand that. Fully aware of all of that. Um, but something that you need to kind of unpack a bit further before you go on to some type of journey saying that you're a spokesperson and representative of the community is like how much of the whiteness that's embedded in you because of those circumstances of you being growing up in closer proximity to whiteness, that all needs to really be fundamentally unpacked and unlearned mm. before you can start placing yourself as some type of representative of the, com the community that is actually disenfranchised from you. And that's not what I don't see that happening. I see it very rarely happen where someone 
um, you know, learns later on in their life about their their roots and they do the right steps. They take the right proper proper steps um, to reconnect with their community, to learn about their community, to spend time, time. You have to spend time in that community and... Um, they and nothing about it is about um, centering themselves for clout because mm. they've discovered a bit of indigenous ancestry. Um, I see that happen very rarely, but when I do see it happen, it does. It is very nice to see. But ve- what we see more often than not is like this story here of Michelle Latimer, where it's like, oh god, like just the the level of success that she garnered yeah. from a story that doesn't <clears throat> belong to her. Totally. Well, in her eyes, it did belong to her, you know, but then the the gaps weren't filled in between her identifying then her projecting this as her identity, you know. Mm. And it's interesting because it seems like an awful thing to have your ancestry um, interrogated like that to the point where, you know, news sites were like digging into your genealogy and looking, f- you know, back generations to see how much of your blood is indigenous and that's what they did to her it's very uncomfortable notion isn't it yeah because like we were saying before the only person the only people that should be interrogating you are the community that you're claiming exactly yeah so yeah it'd be interesting to see it unfold as i said before there's heaps of nuance to this conversation lots of um perspectives to consider um within the industry without the industry from the community to which is claiming Mm. other um indigenous leaders in their communities in canada so yeah i mean look the show is great. That's why I'm like, ah. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like, I was having this conversation on the weekend because, um, a little bit of a sidestep, but it does bring us back to that age-old question of like, who gets to tell whose stories? Yep. And the industry has been changing so much, and a lot of people that haven't changed really in within the industry and what's being um demanded of the industry when it comes to the authenticity of the stories that are being produced Mm. and what's being consumed and how much consumerism has changed as well. Like, if you've been in the industry for a while and you've not, like, evolved with those changes, you would find it very hard to come to terms with the fact that you don't have a right to certain stories anymore. Totally. And because, like, only, like, well, even 10 years ago, that was something that you couldn't, like, you know, well, why can't I tell a trans person's story? Yeah. Like like we saw with Transparent, Mm. you know, like oh well why can't i tell a um a indigenous story like you know like i've got the resources to do it like it's a an appreciation not an appropriation i mean like the conversation and um the understanding of the issue has grown immensely which is amazing we love we love it we love to see it but there's a lot of people that still hold a lot of power in the industry that have not have not gone on that journey of change mm-hmm. as well um and and now we hear a lot of things of like you know well everything is like too political anymore and everyone's too sensitive and then we get into that debate and it's like just move get out (laughs) you're expired you know it's time to retire brother off you go uncle let it go you made enough money off the stories that don't belong to you take a seat um and that's what i see with michelle Lattimore. i mean like she's been in the industry for what 20 years yeah 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 like it's not like she's a part of the generation now that has a better understanding mm. um, and a more critical understanding of how we, you know, yeah. how we produce stories. And like, if even if you have the resources to tell a story, like, 
don't do it still. Like, even if you've done the research, like, reallocate those resources. If you want to write a certain story, but you think that you can bring something to it, then what you need to do is not consult. You need to collab. You need to have a co-writer mm-hmm. and they get paid at the exact same rate as you. The end of. There's mm. nothing else less than that. The bare minimum is no longer acceptable. And Michelle Lattimore is a prime case of that. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Darren Lasaga. This is just us two with you uh, right now. And uh, this week, our co-host, our dear co-host Sada Khan, uh, <laughs> was subject to this very familiar... It's a colonial attack, you know, yes. of someone saying, you're too political. I think you're too political, Sarah. <sighs> Wild. <laughs> I'm a I'm a game changer. You I've are... truly influenced the political spectrum. Literally, why aren't you in parliament? I don't know. Like my last <laughs> Instagram post was me saying, I think like my my last Instagram post said, um, I'm just a girl asking for the Lunar New Year to be kind to me because I'm done with the life lessons. I'm really slack, and it's just like me <laughs> looking into the camera, really sultry. Oh, but apparently that's too much. That is, if that's not the sign of a burgeoning Korean politics, and I don't know what is. Sarah. I'm going to go into my Instagram profile again in a minute just to give you an idea of how absurd this is, right? Okay, go. So this week I was up for a hosting gig. I'm not going to say who for, but it was meant to be, um, I was meant to be traveling for said gig next week and it was all booked, ready to go. And then last minute I was asked, um, for my Instagram profile and my bio. So just like my standard bio that I have for like all kind of presenting and hosting gigs Mm -hmm. that I do, it's really standard. It's just like what gets used in whatever promotional material. You've got one, I've got one. Like, they're so simple. Um, And in it, like, it's got, you know, my nation, where I come from, what I do for a living, and the shows that I host, which is Race Matters is one of them, obviously. And after providing this, I was then told the next day um, by one of the producers that the... Well, I'm not going to get into it, but, like, the... (laughs) like place that the client had seen my stuff and said, sorry, we are going with Sarah. They said, sorry, we are going with someone else as we feel that Sarah is too political. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And like, I just want to like preface this by saying as well that like, this gig was passed on to me by like a really great friend of mine. Adore him, love him, and um, he was just as disgusted when this happened mm. because like he's done the same amount of work with um this um gig, and his profile is inherently like far more political than mine. <laughs> like so, it's like built. The brand is like if you yeah. want to talk about something being like political, like his stuff is like definitely that, and like. I will we'll unpack why saying, like, that's too political is problematic. But, you know, his profile is really deadly and it just does a lot of great work for community and makes um, cuts through a lot of the stuff around um, First Nations communities that often gets um, twisted. And when I looked at... I went back and looked at my profile because I was like, what do I post on my Instagram that's, like, like interpreted as that because not that long ago I posted a bikini photo of myself saying in the caption that a 10 year old boy was yelling out to give him to, to like, was yelling out at me saying like, I'm single and my number is 043521, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, what is it? And one of my, one of my, um, 
theories. This is either this one post that I have from Invasion Day where the caption says, Australia is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, I can see why. <laughs> I can see, I can understand why that would um, trigger the nerve of white fragility. Um, and then the other thing that I, that I could only bring it down to was um, this show. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so sorry. I stopped you from doing work. I'm getting Whoa. paid. I know. I think that's what I'm more angry about is yeah. the fact that it, like, when I get really wild now lately and this is how I think it's showing lately. my age. Lately. <laughs> Um, I'm actually quite a calm person. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not that confrontational, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if this has been my age, but like I get, what I get more upset about is not like the nuance of the situation and how problematic it is, but the fact that it's interfering with my bag. Mm. Like you're messing with my income. Like th- that's a lot of Uber Eats for me that you just took. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, gammon, but like it's, you know, it, it's, the whole, like, statement of, like, you're too political because when I shared th- this um, situation with, like, my family and my friends yesterday and my colleagues, like, they were all so wild and I knew, like, the same type of anger and frustration of, like, you know, what is it about you that's so political? What do you mean too political? Mm. Like, that's just defeating the purpose. How can this company be all about, like, Black Lives Matter and, you know, promoting diversity and con- inclusion and we support First Nations communities, but at the same time, like, keep it at a, um, you know, let's ha- how do we moderate it? Like, yeah, not too much keep it palatable. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it palatable. And it's nothing that, like, I'm not unaware of or not used to. Same with you, Darren. Yeah. Like, this is, these are terms and titles and phrases that have been placed upon us for merely existing mm-hmm. um, our whole entire lives. And it's something that I used to, like, really pander to. I wouldn't say pander, but something I would use, I used to really arc up back at, you know? I would get really wild at it and be like, well, what is it about me that's too political? Like, what, me being black? Like, mm. go into it further. But then I'm, like, sitting back now at my ripe old age of 27 <laughs> and... <laughs> With all of my wisdom. Um, <laughs> you look at my Instagram profile. Just like, I'm just where? like, where? Show where? me where the wisdom Show is. Show me where the wisdom is, sis. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like, my New Year's Eve post was me singing to um, Rain On Me with Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah, isn't this Boomerang post? I don't think so. <laughs> but um, definitely, like, the whole... I, I think what needs to be unpacked is why we get told we're too political. Mm. And this whole statement of, like, being political is really what frustrates me because I'm, like, I'm actually not a political person. Because mm. when we are sitting here having these conversations like race matters, you say it's political. This is our well-being. This is our life. This is lived experience. This is lived experience. It's not a partisan issue to it's have, a, you not- know, human rights to, like, not be discriminated against. Why should people vote on that? A hundred percent. And I think that's what needs to get cut through the most is, like, stop saying that content like what we produce is political. This isn't politics. Mm. On what... Show me where we've had an episode where a politician has been <laughs> on the show. How is this political? Mm. How is, like, the conversations that we have about black joy and culture and cultural revitalization and, you know, the self-determination of our stories yeah. and self-determination of our agency and our representation, like, that's actually not 
political, that's a right. Yeah. It's such an interesting, yeah, conversation and kind of way to think because, you know, quote-unquote identity politics. You know, someone sees the show Race Matters and like, oh, they talk about race, they talk about identity, they talk about identity politics. Yes. And, like, we're not willfully politicising our identities. Like, I have such a complex and fraught connection, oh, understanding and relationship with the idea of identity politics because I'm not, like, consciously politicising my like my racial or ethnic identity. No. That's being done to me. Yes. And I'm having to partake in that because I have no other choice. It's called survival. Like, yeah, exactly. I have to play by these colonial structures, by these white structures. Yeah. It's not my fault that, you know, there was a, a white Australia policy. It's not my fault that, you know, there was anti-Asian sentiment in the generations in which my parents were growing up in Australia. Yeah. I inherited that. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not my fault that you're interfering with my bag. How am how like you're politicizing it. You're saying I'm too political. You're the one that just politicized exactly. it. I didn't do anything. It is such a double-edged <laughs> sword because, you know, all um... I post is selfies. <laughs> like, come on, all I post is me. I bought a ring light last year. I'm really excited about it. Are you really threatened? Is that what you're threatened by? My ring light and how good it looks on me? Like, I don't get it. What I, the conclusion I keep coming to is that it's these crusty old white men that look at my profile. It's not the fact that they're triggered by me being political. It's the fact that they look at me and they're like, she'll never want to be with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the conclusion I always keep coming to. I was like, you, you, you're frustrated by me because you know that I would never swipe right on you. You're untenable. I am you're unattainable. And you know that a black woman don't want to be with you. <laughs> You have nothing to offer me, and that's why you then politicise me. <laughs> I have to make humour out of it because, like, like this is a lot of money they just took from me, so I'm wild. This is how I've got to like make do, compartmentalise the situation. Yeah. But exactly. Like, we have to. Like, I feel like when, because this isn't something that's going to stop mm. either. Like, because I'm never going to stop. We're never going to stop. Why, why am I going to stop? We're going to stop race matters so I can get paid? Let's stop existing and let's, let's just be white people and then yeah. we won't be political. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's what it is. It's purely about assimilation. Mm. Um, these are all tactics of assimilation. These are all um, really thought out weapons of the colony that are used like, you know, these catchy, fra- you know, mm. these really trendy catchphrases of like, too political this, too political that, blah, 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 blah. Like, we need to be apolitical mm. or political correctness. And all, like, these are all really well-crafted phrases that are placed upon um, communities of colour, people of colour, Indigenous people, black people, all communities that have been disenfranchised by white supremacy. These are all really... <clears throat> you know, well-crafted, well-thought-out words, phrases that are placed upon us to dismiss our experience and silence us and censor us. Because, mm. like, when I said yesterday what had happened to us, someone was, like, I'm not going to say who, but someone said to me, oh, maybe, like, is there any way that you can, like, just say, like, you'll delete whatever post <gasps> it is that triggered them? I was like, what? Oh, my God. Why would I do that? I'm Like, for me, moving forward from this and just in terms for other, like, black people that, like, have this placed upon them when it comes to your career aspirations or any type of opportunities that you're trying to reach for. And, you know, you got to remember who's always gatekeeping the space. Yeah. And as soon as someone tries to moderate your identity, your racial identity and your lived experience and say like, moderate that in order to be having, in order to have access to the space, walk away. Because it's not an opportunity. It's a it's threat. a trap. It's a trap, and it's a threat to your well-being. That's and I think that's what um, gets 
Because I know that, like, the generation before us, like, like we come from generations of um, people, of Indigenous people and migrants that, you know, when they came here, they had to... They, they, they're of the survival mm. mentality. A lot of their thing was survival. And, like, I know that, like, I've got parents that get quite fearful mm. of my circumstances because, um, you know, I've got they're a mouth... They're wary of the a, world for you. I've got a mouth on me. And I'm like, I don't know why you're scared of that. You raised me, but um, you did this. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> I am what I am. Um, but I think like it's just really important to um, never ever compromise yourself for an opportunity. This idea that gets put onto us as black people, as people of color, of like you know we have to moderate ourselves, otherwise we isolate ourselves mm. from opportunities. You know, like, you're, and I'm like, that's a, just another fancy way for you to tell me to assimilate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I feel the same. Um, it's hard because you might not know it's happening until you're fully in it. Mm. You know, there's many times in which you say yes to a position, you find yourself in a space in which you think is safe. Like, you think you're there out of merit, but then you start questioning, you know, it's this case of imposter syndrome, yeah. but like times 10, if you're like a minority or if you're being quote-unquote, included in the space in which you're a minority. Yeah. You know, you start questioning, why am I here? Am I serving some sort of purpose that I'm not aware of? Yeah. Who who were the decision makers that led me here? What is the transference of power? How much, you know, support am I receiving in this role? And it's like, you have to ask these questions whether you like it or not. I and know. like, sometimes the answers are really bad. Yeah. And, you know, not all spaces will be accommodating to you. And it's really hard to act on that you know like what do i do what am i what are my lifelines who do i talk to and then that's when you feel completely isolated and it happens everywhere yeah, it it's happened, happened here it happens everywhere exactly and i mean like the show race matters exists for the support and the affirmation that so many of our communities need yeah you know because these lived experiences are ongoing mm. like this is like what happened to me this week happened to probably many other people this week yep. as well. And as has been happening. And has been happening, will continue to happen. And we exist in order to make sense of all of that and be a celebration of ourselves. Mm. You think we're too political? Change the channel. Because this isn't for you. <laughs> we don't make it for you. <laughs> if you're sitting there being like, I'm not feeling heard in this, and you're white, just it's not for you. It's not for you. Just There's plenty of other it's content very, for you. It's so simple. Yeah. But anyway... In conclusion, um, my paycheck's going to look a little low because of... Because <laughs> of your Instagram. Because of my Instagram. Whatever. I'm just going to keep posting thirst traps. <laughs> you are listening to Race Matters with Darren Losagas and Sada Khan. We are officially in Mardi Gras season. Oh. Sara, what are you doing for it? Um... I have no plans because <laughs> it's, well... Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's literally been me as well. You Well, like, it's because it's COVID still, right? And so yep. we're still currently in the um, phase of, like, rolling back restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, but my roommate, she's a part of organising Mardi Gras for this year. And mm -hmm. so I've been watching her and just her st stress levels at the moment. <laughs> bless her soul. Um, but... She's also getting me a little bit jade for it. So now I'm like, oh, God, I've like, because I, she kept saying to me that, like, we don't know if it's going ahead because of restrictions, this, restrictions, that. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know how to kind of, like, there was just so much, um, like, 
uncertainty sure. over yeah, yeah, the yeah. event because it's got to look so different because mm-hmm. it's happening in COVID because it's like Mardi Gras last year was like the like right before it hit. Hey, right. it was like the, it was like the, the last, last weekend. It was like the last hoorah we had yeah. before it really became real here. I didn't do anything because my <laughs> boyfriend was away. I was <laughs> mad. <laughs> Well, but he's here you, now, so... You hang yourself there. I did, I did do that. I was, I was, yeah. Because it was a great night. <laughs> I played myself there. <laughs> I had the best time. I think it was like last year was like one of my favourite Mardi Gras. Um, but um, it was definitely, it, it's definitely watching Jane now, like in her like stress state of organising Mardi Gras as a participant, I'm like, Oh, I'm actually like I actually want to do something now yeah. because like now that we know it's going ahead and yeah. you know New South Wales announced the rolling back of restrictions when it comes to dancing and everything. Yep. And um, I'm currently working um in a space at the moment where we've been um imagining a type of Mardi Gras in the future. Okay. Yeah, and so because like it's part of like something we're working on at the moment, but um the, all the talk we've been having heaps of chats around Mardi Gras and like yeah. talking about like our experiences and our introduction into Mardi Gras as well yeah. and what that looked like and so because of that now I'm getting like I'm getting really jaded. You're jade. I'm jade. So okay, I feel I'm like I need to force a plan to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I luckily got tickets to this Mardi Gras March uh, fundraiser, uh, Pride in Protester, holding it at Red Rattler. It's an incredible lineup. I think they released more tickets, but I think those also might be sold out because I know the restrictions eased up. There was more space. But yeah, Barker and Dobby are playing, Benji Ra, Imbi, Marcus Rail, Space Horse. So yeah, it's on Thursday. But um, there's also the March going down on Saturday. The Mardi Gras March take over Oxford Street and kicks off at Taylor Square. So they got a few demands. Which um, are pertinent to be taking note of because, you know, as far as we've come uh, in regards to, you know, LGBTQIA plus rights, there is so much work to do. I mean, this was a big issue with the march last year, right? And the fact that New South Wales police were given a float and just completely, completely... Wait, don't get too political. Oh, 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 (laughs) oh, no. (laughs) Back in my box, shall I? Oh, no. Um, Uh, but, you know, that was a complete spit yeah, in the face fully. to the whole um, roots, the whole origin oh of the, of Mardi Gras to begin with, the entire origin story of Mardi Gras and how it culminated yeah. and the people that fought for that space. It was because of police brutality mm-hmm. and the fact that New South Wales police were given a float in the parade completely it's compromised it. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. But there's, we'll go through this just so your people that are aware about the march happening on Saturday next week, March 6th from 2 p.m., starting at Taylor Square, take over Oxford Street. There are many demands and demands that everyone needs to be um, keeping in mind when entering Mardi Gras as a whole this year. Yep. Um, one of the demands is kill the bill, and that's to end transphobic scapegoating and the so called religious freedoms bills and education amendment bill, job security and universal and trans inclusive education and healthcare should be a right. Um, number two is no pride in detention. So en- ending mandatory detention and forced deportations deportations in favour of a permanent resettlement with the right to jobs, health and housing. Also saying no to sexuality testing of queer refugees and an end to wars that create refugees. The third demand is Black Lives Matter. Over 437 Aboriginal people have been murdered by the state since 1991 and ending black deaths in custody and the over-policing of black communities and abolish the police and correctional services. And uh, yeah, number four, decriminalise sex work, which uh, fully decriminalises sex work in every state and territory. 
um, with sex workers at the centre of law reform and policy change. And, uh, yeah, one of the final demands, legalise all drugs now, decriminalise and legalise drug use and um, support drug law reform that halts the war on drug users. So, yeah, I hate to be that guy, but, like, you know, equality for some but not for all, you know? It's... As, like, you know, I'm a cis gay man, I've been afforded so many privileges um, because of who I am, but there's a lot of acknowledgement to do in the fact that much of our community, who a lot are disconnected to, mm. are completely disenfranchised and discriminated against and um, are some of the most, you know, sometimes at-risk uh, members of our communities. A hundred percent. And we can't, quote-unquote, pride ourselves on diversity and on, in- and, and on um, support for our queer family without fully supporting our queer families. Absolutely. Uh, that is the Mardi Gras March, which is the takeover of, of Oxford Street. It's going to be kicking off at 2pm next Saturday, March 6th, starting at Taylor Square. That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. Race Matters. 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 Race matters.